This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. I'd like to welcome you here once again to End Time Apocalypse, this six-part mini-series as we are looking at the very heart of the book of Revelation, digging deep into those final events before Jesus comes and how the world will be brought to a point of decision. This message I've entitled, The United States in Bible Prophecy. I want to welcome those who are watching um, at home or online, wherever you may be watching or listening. A warm welcome to you and I pray that you'll be blessed by God's word as we, as we journey once again through the apocalypse, the book of Revelation. As I pointed out, we're looking at the United States today, the United States in Bible prophecy. And I want to begin by asking this all important question, and that is, will the United States of America play a major role at the end of time in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? You and I don't need to be reminded, nobody needs to be reminded that the United States today is the lone world superpower. Isn't that right? right. The lone world superpower. Does the Bible have anything to say about this nation that God has blessed beyond measure and whether it will fulfill an important part, an important role in end time Bible prophecy? I believe the Bible does. The book of Revelation does. And we're going to begin by praying once again and asking for God to bless our time together in his word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We've been blessed thus far in this series by your word. And we ask and pray once again that you will open our hearts and our minds, that as we open the pages of Scripture, that your Holy Spirit will impress upon us the all-important truths to prepare us for the soon return of Jesus. For this is our earnest prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen. and amen. Once again, we want to take a look at that all-important message in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 14, is where we want to go. And in Revelation chapter 14, we have the three angels' messages, as we have discovered over and over again, God's final call. And in the first angel's message there, we discover God shares with the world His truth. In the second angel's message, God exposes Satan's lies. And in the third angel's message, God says, it's your choice. Will you follow my truth or will you follow Satan's lies? And in our previous presentation, we discovered that there would be two groups at the end of time. One group follows Satan's lies and are lost forevermore. The other group follow God's truth and they are loyal to Jesus Christ and they are saved forevermore. We've discovered that there are three all important questions that we find in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 to 12, the third angel's message. And these three all important questions are, who is the beast? And we've discovered that the beast is none other than the Roman church state. And we've looked at that um, in the previous two presentations. Uh, We've discovered who the mark or what the mark of the beast is. And the mark of the church of Rome at the end of time that will separate the world in two groups, in two camps, is none other than the false day of worship. And that day of worship is what? Sunday, the false day of worship is Sunday. The true day of worship is the seventh day Sabbath. So that was in our previous presentation. In this presentation, we want to take a look at what the image of the beast is. For God warns the inhabitants of the world not to worship the beast or his image or to receive his mark. So 
who is this beast and, 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 and what is the image of the beast? That's what we want to take a look at in this study together. This is this uh, a beast that, that John saw in vision, an artist impression of this beast with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on his horns um, made up of, of a leopard and a lion and a bear. So as we discover who this beast is, we discover that this beast reigns for a particular period in time. Notice what we find in Revelation 13 verse 5. They're speaking of the Roman church papacy. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now, we discovered in the very first presentation in this series that God identifies this power as ruling and reigning in the then known world for 1260 days, a day representing a year in Bible prophecy. So we're looking at 1260 years. Now, the Church of Rome began to rule and reign as a religio-political power, received political power in Rome in the year 538 AD. Notice, in 538 AD, the Roman Emperor Justinian gave the Bishop of Rome religious and political authority in Rome. 1260 years later, Napoleon's general Berthier marched into Rome and took the Pope that is Pope Pius VI, captive and broke the Roman Church's political power on February 15, 1798. Right on time, that rule and reign came to an end, just as God predicted in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. Notice these words that we read in Revelation 13 and verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been what? Mortally wounded. So this power is described as receiving a mortal wound. And that mortal wound took place in 1798, as we have just discovered. Notice what we read in Revelation 13, verse 10. He who leads into captivity, speaking of this power, the Roman church state, shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. But the Bible goes on in Revelation 13, 3 to describe what happens next after the Church of Rome receives this deadly wound in 1798. Notice what we read in Revelation 13, verse 3. We continue reading. And his deadly wound was what? Healed. And his deadly wound was healed. This is unprecedented in human history. For we have many empires that have risen to power but they have fallen and have not risen again. However, this power rules for more than a millennia, rises to significant power, great power there in Western Europe, comes to an end, receives a mortal wound, but the Bible says, and his deadly wound was healed. It has a resurrection, a resurrection. Now, when did the papacy's wound begin to heal? On February 11. 1929, the Prime Minister of Italy, Benito Mussolini, signed a concordat granting the Pope full authority over the state of Vatican City, that is those 108.7 acres in Rome, which includes St. Peter's Cathedral. Once again, the Pope was, was both a monarch as well as a priest, a prince and a pontiff. So in 1929, after not having any political authority for more than 50 years, in fact, from 1870, when the last papal state was taken away from the Vatican, the last papal state there in Italy, 
From 1870 to 1929, the papacy did not have political power. It only had religious power. And in 1929, Benito Mussolini, on behalf of Italy, granted Rome political power by reinstating the Vatican as a papal state. Now, this was written up in the papers. It was a big deal. And this is the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle back in, back in February of 1929. Notice this title, Mussolini and Gaspari sign historic Roman pact. Notice these words from this newspaper article, the San Francisco Chronicle. The Roman question tonight was a thing of the past and the Vatican was at peace with Italy. In affixing the autographs to the memorable document, notice these words, healing the what? Healing the wound, extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. So this wound between the Vatican and Italy was now healed because now the Vatican was not only a religious power, but now it also had political authority. This is not when the wound was healed. The Bible clearly tells us that the wound will be healed when all the world wonders after the beasts. However, that's how the newspapers termed it. Now, this is such a big deal for when I was in Rome. I was there in 2010. I was there in the, in the bookshop, in the, in the shop there where you can buy souvenirs, and there was a medallion. And for 2,000 euros, I could buy the medallion or I could take a photo. So what do you think I decided to do? I decided to take a photo of this medallion commemorating 80 years since 1929. Notice, this medallion commemorates, um, yeah, eight, it's the 80-year anniversary from 1929 to 2009. So as far as the Church of Rome is concerned, it indeed was a big deal what took place in 1929 when the Church received its political sovereignty once again. Now, since 1929, the papacy has been growing in power, prestige and influence. Let me just share with you just a few highlights of recent times. This is the front page of the Daily Telegraph, our own paper here in, in Australia. And this was when Pope um, Benedict came to Australia back in 2008. Holy See. Here is another. Here is, here is, uh, is another evidence of, of the Church of Rome rising to power. This is the current Pope, Pope Francis, and he appears on five front covers of Time magazine. We continue on. And here is Pope Francis on the front cover of National Geographic. Uh, the title, Pope Francis Remakes the Vatican, here on National Geographic Kids. Pope Francis. Here is another couple more front covers. This one from Rolling Stone. Uh, notice uh, the heading, Pope Francis. The times, they are changing. He is most indeed, probably considered to be one of the, if not the most popular Pope. Um, that has ever reigned and ruled. And this is on the front cover of the Advocate magazine. Pope Francis um, was voted Person of the Year. Now, the Advocate magazine is a prominent LGBT magazine there in, in the United States of America. And he was voted as Person of the Year back in 2013 for his statement, If someone is gay and seeks the Lord with goodwill, who am I to judge? And so here we have 
Pope Francis and he is reshaping, he is remaking the Church of Rome. This individual is one of the, if not the most popular man on the planet as we speak. Popular in all walks of life amongst the religious and the irreligious. And that is because Pope Francis has opened his door wide for all, for all to come. And to be part of a community of faith, to be part of a world where there is peace, happiness and harmony. And he's leading the way. Notice this book uh, that was written, um, quoting Pope Francis in his own words, written by Antonio Spadato. and, And the title is Pope Francis. And I love the subtitle. My door is always open. A conversation on faith, hope and the church in a time of change. And this really illustrates Pope Francis and where he is at. He is seeking to be all things to all people. On a CNN documentary series um, in 2018, um, this is the six-part documentary series on CNN. The title, Pope, The Most Powerful Man in History. Notice the subtitle. The docuseries explores how 12 apostles became 1.2 billion Catholics today, linking recent news events surrounding the Vatican with their unexpected origins. And in this documentary series, it points out, as the title suggests, how the Pope, the Pontiff, is the most powerful man in all of human history. Just as God said things would take place at the very end of time. Notice these words again from Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. It says, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. This is an incredible statement. This is a statement that says there will be this power that will rule for more than a millennium that will receive a mortal wound. But the wound would be healed and the entire world, the entire world would follow and marvel after the dictates of this power. This power would lead the way, not just in Western Europe, but right around the world. So the question you and I need to ask is how, excuse me, how will it happen? How will it happen? I mean, that's a that's a big ask. Sure, the sure the pontiff is very popular. But there's one thing being popular. There's another thing, the entire world following the dictates of your particular church. Now, how will that happen? Notice what we read in Revelation 13 verses 11 and 12. God here describes how it will take place that the whole world will marvel and follow after the Roman church state. John writes, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So who is this power that John sees coming up out of the earth that causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed? I want to put it to you, my friends, based on what we're going to discover in Revelation in this particular presentation, that this power is none other than the United States of America. The United States of America, the Bible says, will be that power at the end of time that causes the entire world to worship this power. Ultimately, to give their allegiance to the one who is behind this power, and that is the dragon, as we have already discovered. It's fascinating to me that 
as 1798 was approaching, as that deadly wound was about to take place, an individual by the name of John Wesley made this statement in his Notes on Revelation published in 1754 regarding the second beast. He wasn't quite sure who this second beast represented, but notice what he wrote. He is not yet come. But he cannot be far off, for he is to appear at the end of the 42 months of the first beast. John Wesley understood Bible prophecy. John Wesley was a student of Bible prophecy, and he realized that this power was about to come onto the scene of history that would give a springboard, that would give power and authority to this first beast, the Roman church state, whereby the entire world would follow after its dictates. It's interesting that even before John Wesley wrote those words, we have these three distinguished pioneers, um, Bible scholars, um, who expounded on Revelation 13 and this second beast, this second power, this second kingdom. One of them was Dr. Thomas Goodwin, um, another one, Isaac Bacchus, and another one, Judge John Bacon. And notice what they, what conclusion they came to as they read the scriptures, as they looked at the United States of America, as they looked at this nation that had arisen from, from very humble beginnings to, to growing in power and influence. Notice what they had to say. And this is written in that book by Leroy Froome, The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers. Although they did not name this power as the USA, Goodwin, Bacchus and Bacon connected this power with Protestantism. Furthermore, Bacon suggested that the two horns represented civil and religious freedom. Isn't that fascinating? These three Christian scholars simply based on the book of Revelation, based on, on the description there from Revelation 13, verse 11 to verse 17, they came to the conclusion that they weren't quite sure what kingdom this power represented, but they believed it had to do something with civil and religious freedom, Protestantism being at the very heart. The very first person to identify this power as the United States of America was none other than John Nevins Andrews in 1851. At the age of 22, he identified this second beast of Revelation 13 as the United States of America. So let's see if John Nevins Andrews came to an accurate conclusion based on what the Bible says, based on what you and I see today. We're going to put the pieces together as we did on a previous occasion when we identified the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. So too, we're going to seek to identify this power from the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 13, as we put these pieces together. I want to give you several identification marks as we, as we seek to identify this power and indeed see and establish whether it is speaking of the United States of America. Notice, the United States would arise at a specific time in history. How do we know that? Notice what the text says. Revelation 13, 11, John begins with the word what? Then I saw another beast. Now the question you and I need to ask is when is the then? When is the then? When is this power arising? Well, the then follows verse 10. So notice what we read in verse 10. In verse 10 of Revelation 13, 
We read these words. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We've discovered already that this is speaking of who? Speaking of the Roman church state, isn't that right? Speaking of the Roman papacy that would go into captivity. And we know from what we've already established that the Roman church state received its deadly wound in what year? 1798, at the end of that 1260 year period. So we are looking for this power to come onto the scene of history around the period of 1798, the year when Napoleon sent his general Berthier into Rome and he took Pope Pius VI captive on the 15th of February, 1798. Notice, when it comes to the United States of America, it declared its independence in 1776, it voted through the Constitution in 1789, it adopted the Bill of Rights in 1791, and was recognized as a nation by 1798. So that first identification mark, we can put a tick. The United States fulfills that first identification mark as far as at what specific time in Earth's history it arises. Um, to, to, to prominence. Let's take a look at this second identification mark. The United States would arise in a sparsely populated area. Now, how do we know that? Well, based on the text, notice what we read in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. We read, Then I saw another beast coming up out of where? Coming up out of the earth. Now, it's interesting that the earth is also mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. But before we do that, we discover that the earth is a symbol of that which is opposite to the sea. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, we are told that the sea represents multitudes, tongues, nations and peoples. So if sea represents many peoples and a populated area, the earth would represent the opposite. Is that fair enough? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the earth represents a place or a continent that would be sparsely populated. And when the pilgrims first came to the United States of America, indeed, it was sparsely populated. It was the New World. It's estimated that somewhere between four and five million Indians uh, were, were living in the United States of America. Now notice Revelation chapter 12 and verse 16. It says there, but the earth helped the woman and the earth swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, this is a prophecy concerning the United States of America, that toward the end of the 1260 year period, God says that his people, his persecuted church in the old world, in Western Europe, would receive refuge from a nation that was described as the earth that swallowed up the persecution. And that, of course, was the United States of America. We're all well familiar with that. And the history books make that abundantly clear. Let's take a look at the third point. The United States would have two horns like a lamb. Two horns like a lamb. Notice what we read. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb. Now, these two horns represent political and religious freedom. You will notice that there are no crowns on this beast. A crown is worn by a king or a queen. Isn't that right? Or someone who is a pope. But no crowns on this beast, unlike the first beast. That is because it would be a government of the people, for the people, 
and by the people. The two horns represent the two foundational principles that the United States was built on and that continues to remain to this day. And those two principles are republicanism, a government without a king, and Protestantism, a church without a pope. You see, those who came to the United States of America, they full well understood the persecution that had taken place in the old world, the persecution that had taken place there in Western Europe. And they fled from that persecution and they wanted to establish a new country, a new way of living where you could worship as you chose to worship, where no one could tell you how to worship, where there wasn't a king telling you what to do. And there wasn't a pope telling you what you ought to do, but you could worship according to the dictates of your conscience. They wanted to escape that persecution. That is why they went to the United States of America. It wasn't like that when the pilgrims first arrived. If you read American history, you'll discover during that colonial period, before the Declaration of Independence, the church and the state were in bed together and persecution did take place in the United States during those first 150 years. But that was all to change when the Declaration of Independence was established and the Constitution was formed, which we're going to get to as we go along. The United States, they fought a war to be separate from Europe. That was the Declaration or the War of Independence. As you, as you take a look at the Declaration of Independence that was signed by those 13 colonies in 1776, notice these words that we find there in this, in this historic document, this, this godly document. And you'll discover why I refer to it as a godly document in, in, in a little bit. This document that I believe was inspired by God himself based on the fulfillment of prophecy that this nation would have, how it would be a refuge for the people of God who were suffering persecution. Notice these truths that we find, sorry, that this statement that we find in the Declaration of Independence of 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created what? Equal. That was laughable, laughable in the old world to say that all are created equal, that the king is as equal as the person who doesn't have a job or the, or the poor person in the street. That was absolutely laughable. Well, this was to be a new system, a new way of, of doing life. It goes on that they are endowed by their creator. Notice the language of scripture coming through with certain inalienable rights. That is a right that cannot be taken from them. That among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Does that sound like a document that is based on godly principles. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Every single word of that document is, is biblical, is Christian in nature, including the language that is used. Notice the First Amendment of the Constitution. Notice this very first principle that this nation, this great nation, this nation that has been blessed by God more than any other nation on the planet. Notice these first words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's a beautiful statement of freedom. It was very, very clear from the very outset that the United States would be a nation where the church and the state were separate. 
Whenever the church and state get into bed together, persecution always arises. Always down through history, even today in nations where the church and the state are together and working in partnership, persecution arises for the minority, for those that are not willing to go along with the religion of the state. There was to be a clear separation of church and state based on the very foundation and on the very founding principles of the United States of America. And today we live in a nation here in Australia that is founded and grounded upon the United States of America. Can anyone guess what city in Australia this is? Melbourne, indeed, my hometown. I was born in Melbourne and I'm so glad my parents came to Australia from Macedonia. You see, my parents came almost 50 years ago from Macedonia, a country that did not have the religious freedoms that now it enjoys. My grandfather was in church preaching as I am preaching and the police came during the church service and they took him away to the police station for questioning. I thank God that we live in a nation that is grounded and founded upon upon the beautiful principles that the United States was established when the Declaration of Independence was voted through, when the Constitution was voted through, that there would be a separation between church and state and you can worship how you want to worship in the, according to the dictates of your conscience. If you don't want to worship, that's okay as well. The greatest gift that God has given to humanity is freedom of choice. What's the greatest gift God has given to humanity? Freedom of choice. Love at the very heart of the freedom of choice is love. That is, that is something godly. That is how we were created. That is being made in the image of God to give the person an opportunity to choose how they will worship, when they will worship, who they will worship and if they want to worship at all. In fact, Jesus recognized these two separate kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the spiritual kingdom. Notice what we read in Matthew 22, verse 21, when Jesus was asked the question in order to in order to trip him up yet again, shall we shall we give taxes to Caesar? Yes or no. Notice Jesus response in Matthew 22, verse 21. And he said to them, render therefore to who? Caesar, Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are what? God's. So as far as Jesus was concerned, there was a very separ- there was a very clear separation between that which belongs to God and that which belongs to the state. Your responsibilities towards God are here and your responsibilities to your nation are here. Render unto God the things that belong to God. Render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. In fact, the Ten Commandments are divided in these two principles. The first four commandments deal with your allegiance and your worship to who? To God. The next six commandments are all about your commitment and your responsibility to your fellow citizen, to your nation. Isn't that right? So God's law is divided amongst these two principles and the reason, the number one reason, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, the number one reason why the United States of America is today the lone superpower in the world, why the United States of America has been blessed by God more than any other nation is for these two precious principles, the separation of church 
and state. Let's take a look at our fourth point together. The United States would exhibit lamb-like characteristics. Notice what we read. It says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a what? Like a lamb. Now, we're not quite sure what John saw in vision. There are some that believe he may have seen a buffalo, an American buffalo or an American bison. We don't really know. And that is not really what matters. What matters is that these two horns are like a lamb. The two horns are like what? Like a lamb. It doesn't say that this beast, this power looks like a lamb. It simply says that this beast, this animal had two horns that looked like lambs. Horns. Who is the lamb? The lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist looked at Christ, he cried out those beautiful words in John 1.29. Behold, the lamb of God that does what? That takes away the sins of the world. In fact, as you go through the book of Revelation, you'll discover on 29 separate occasions, lamb is mentioned in the book of Revelation. For in every single case, the lamb represents Jesus Christ, except for in this one instance where this lamb, this lamb-like, this, this beast that has lamb-like horns, eventually speaks like the dragon. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11, verse 28? Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. That's what Jesus gives us, rest. (laughs) Wonderful rest. In fact, there... At the very, um, uh, there, there's a plaque at the, at the Statue of Liberty there in New York Harbor. And these words are written there. They are a poem from Emma Lazarus that reflect the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Notice these words from Emma Lazarus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Beautiful words. Beautiful words that reflect the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all you who labor, and a heavy land, I'll give you rest. The United States is a nation that has that has enabled and encouraged and invited all those that were all those that were experiencing religious as well as political tyranny persecution to come and to find a place where they would experience religious and political freedom these two beautiful gifts and the united states its population has grown astronomically as a direct result of opening its borders, opening its borders to those that were homeless, those that were persecuted, those that were looking for a safe haven. As we read in Revelation chapter 12, you'll remember, the earth opened up. Do you remember those words? The earth opened up and swallowed the persecution that was taking place in the old world. And that earth that opened up its doors is none other than the United States of America. Notice this interesting statistic that I came across recently regarding the population of the United States as it compares with the population of Russia and the UK. Take a look over the last 
100 years or so, the population of the UK, the population of Russia has remained reasonably steady. The UK at 66 million, Russia at 143 million today. That graph has not moved up or down much. It has remained steady. Have a look at the United States. In the last 100 years, the population has gone from less than 100 million to over 300 million today. Can you see that Bible prophecy has been fulfilled just as God predicted that the doors would be open, the earth would open its doors and invite all those that were seeking refuge to come and to be part of this nation, this wonderful nation. Let's take a look at our fifth point together. The United States, the Bible says, would have great worldwide power and authority. You and I know that full well today, but... This book, the Bible, wasn't written yesterday and it wasn't even written 100 years ago and it certainly wasn't written 200 years ago. This prophecy was written 2,000 years ago. Notice these words that describe the power and the influence that the United States of America would have at the very end of time. Notice these words. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 12. And he, that is the United States of America, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes, or that word there, also translated forces, the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, in order for you to cause or to force the entire world to do something, you have to have a lot of power. Isn't that right? It's interesting that Australia was was founded by the Europeans, well, I should say by the by the British around the same time, as you will know from 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 history, 1788. January 26 is when Captain Cook uh, arrived there in Botany Bay around the same period of time when the United States of America was forming itself into a nation. And yet Australia can't tell anyone what to do. Isn't that right? (laughs) But the United States certainly can. Today, the United States is the worldwide lone superpower. Today, through Hollywood, the United States influences our entertainment industry around the world. Fast food, McDonald's, uh, Wall Street. Wall Street. What happens when, when, when the stock market takes a dive at Wall Street? What happens to the rest of the world markets? They just go south so, so quickly. As someone pointed out, when, when, when Wall Street catches a cold, the, the, sorry, when Wall Street sneezes, the rest of the nations, the rest of the stock marches, they, they, they go down as well. They catch a cold. And, and not to mention the military. Not even, we're not even talking about technology and, and Google and um, IBM and, and Microsoft and Apple and, um, and so on and so forth. That all comes from the United States of America. Let's take a look at the military. Now, this is astounding. As far as the military is concerned, the United States, notice, according to this report back in 2017, the United States spends more on defense than the next eight countries combined. Did you get that? The United States spends more money on military than the next eight major countries combined. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And that is why the United States is all around the world, all around the world, and continues to flex its muscle and its power. Let's take a look at this sixth point. 
the United States would speak like a dragon. Notice these words. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. I really wish, I really, really wish that there was a full stop at the end of lamb and we could all go home and live happily ever after. But that is not how the prophecy ends. This nation that begins in a Christ-like fashion will one day speak like the dragon. And who is the dragon according to Bible prophecy? It's Satan. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 makes that clear. The dragon is that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So the Bible says this nation that espouses freedom of religion, that espouses civil freedom, will one day speak like the dragon, Satan himself, who, who has only one purpose and plan in mind, and that is to either deceive or coerce the entire world into worshipping him. One nation aligned with Jesus Christ at the very foundation will one day at the very end before its demise speak like the dragon. Now let's ask the question, how does a nation speak? A nation speaks through its laws and legislative body. The Bible says that the United States of America through its laws and legislative body will bring forth laws that will prohibit civil and religious freedom. The two principles upon which this nation was built, the two principles that have ensured this nation be the worldwide lone superpower, blessed more than any other nation on the planet. Now the question is, how will the dragon, that is Satan, use the United States government to force its citizens as well as compel all other world governments to enforce the mark of the beast that is Sunday sacredness, which we have already established from Scripture, on its citizens. How will that happen? As I pointed out through Satan's two favorite methods that he has used ever since the beginning of time. And those two methods, his two favorite methods that he has are deception and what? Coercion, deception and coercion. And these two methods were used by Satan at the very beginning of time when he used the first method, deception, to deceive Eve. Isn't that right? And he used the second method, coercion or force, when he could not deceive Abel into worshipping him as his brother had. So instead of deceiving him, which he couldn't do, what did he do? He took his life. He took his life, he killed him. Deception and coercion. Satan's first two tools at the very beginning of time in order to get his way will be his final two tools at the end of time to get his way to receive the worship that belongs to God and God alone. So let's take a look at deception. Let's take a look at what the text actually says. Deception. Notice what it says in Revelation 13 verses 13 and 14. He performs great what? signs or miracles, so that he even makes what? Fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Let's just pause there for a moment. Fire in the Bible has often been associated with the workings of God. With the workings of who? With the workings of God. You remember on Mount Carmel, God sent fire down from heaven to make it clear the sacrifice that he accepted, that of Elijah rather than the prophets of Baal. 
At Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit as a symbol of tongues of fire. Isn't that right? Fire is often a symbol that God is in this, that God is working. So the devil will use something that is associated with having the acceptance of God in order to deceive. Are we together on that? Let's keep reading. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So here is how the devil will work. One of his two favorite methods, and that is what? Deception. He will seek to deceive. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, regarding what the enemy will seek to do through deception. We read these words. The Apostle Paul writes, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. It's interesting. He uses the word lawless. Lawless. Does that remind us of the Ten Commandments? Yes, indeed. This power will be contrary to God's law and God's Ten Commandments. That's what it's speaking of. Let's keep reading. With all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be what? Saved. So why will those at the end of time be deceived? Will they be deceived because the truth was not available to them? That the truth was not made absolutely crystal clear to them? No. Those who are deceived at the end of time and are lost will be lost for one reason and one reason alone. And that is because they would rather believe the lie than they would believe Jesus Christ and his truth. That is why they perish. God will never allow anyone to be deceived. Never. Without making it crystal clear what the truth is. But if you want to be deceived, if that's what you want, then God will allow you to believe a deception, a lie rather than the truth. That is why the three angels' messages are summed up in those six words. God's truth, Satan's lies and your choice. God says, I've shared with you my truth. I've exposed Satan's lies. Now it's your opportunity to make a choice. That is the first way. Let's take a look at the second way that Satan will work at the end of time through coercion. Notice these scriptures. Revelation 13, 12. And he, that is the United States of America, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This, this word causes uh, appears again. Notice these words, this time from verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may what? Buy or sell, except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. That's the second time the word causes is used. So Satan will seek to get his way by preventing those who will not worship him from buying and selling. But when buying and selling fails, well, then he pulls out his trump card. And notice what Satan will seek to do. In verse 15, we read, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and do what? Cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. So ultimately, there'll be a death decree. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. (laughs) That's what it actually says. You can read that. So what is the image of the beast? That's our third 
Most important end time question when it comes to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 9 to 12, the third angel's message. What is the image of the beast? Well, we'll discover in Daniel chapter 3, which is the parallel chapter in the book of Daniel to Revelation 13. Easy to remember, 13 and 3. We have an image that is set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. What is the image of the beast? The image of the beast is simply the state forcing its citizens to worship a certain way, which is what took place in Daniel chapter 3. Is what took place during the Dark Ages when the state forced its citizens to obey what the church said, which is what took place when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was crucified, the state, the government, and the religious leaders got together. Isn't that right? Pilate and the religious leaders got together to put Jesus on the cross. What happened back then will take place again today. The image of the beast is simply this. When the state and the church come together and the state enforces worship according to the dictates of the church. And in this case, it's the church of Rome, as we have already discovered. Now, is this wall between church and state coming down? Yes, indeed it is. And it is coming down more than just a brick at a time. It's coming down rapidly. Let me just share with you just some, some very recent events uh, in the last number of years and, 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 and what is taking place right now. Notice this statement by a prominent evangelical, an evangelist, pastor there in the United States of America, Pastor Jerry Falwell. This is what he wrote. All Americans would do well to petition the president and the Congress to make a federal law and amendment to the Constitution if need be. That would be the First Amendment that separates church and state, that prohibits uh, the force of religion to be establish the what? The Sabbath as the national day of rest. And he's not talking about the seventh day Sabbath in case you were wondering. What this prominent evangelical leader is saying that the Congress has a duty to establish laws so that every single person in the United States will have the freedom to worship on Sunday. Not Saturday, not Friday, but on Sunday. Notice this front cover of Time magazine back in 2011. And interestingly enough, on July 4, Independence Day 2011, this was the, this was the title. Does the U.S. Constitution still matter? And as you can see, here's the Declaration of Independence and it's being shredded. Since September 11 in particular, freedoms that the people of the United States have treasured and enjoyed for, for two centuries have slowly but surely been taken away from them. It won't take much. It won't take much for laws to be put in place that you and I cannot even begin to imagine today. When September 11 took place, the world changed, didn't it? It changed forever. Imagine an event or events like September 11 or far greater. That will bring the United States to its knees where people will cry out to God. And who knows what will take place? Well, we know what will take place because the Bible tells us how that will all transpire. I don't know. Notice this. This was from Time magazine back in 2016, August 15. And the title was Donald Trump vowed to close the gap between what? Church and state. Incredible. Donald Trump, before his election, 
had a meeting with a number of prominent evangelical leaders and he promised them, if you put me in power, I will give you the power to bring government into the church, to to be able to share your political views and your opinions, to be able to donate to political causes, even though you are a church and are not allowed to do that because of the separation of church and state. I'm going to dismantle that separation for the sake of giving the churches more power. And under Donald Trump, under Donald Trump, the evangelicals in America have received a boost in the arm unlike other, unlike any other. Under, under, under President Obama, the evangelicals, the Christians were suppressed. Under Donald Trump, they are now rising very, very quickly to power. This was a book that I read just this year, written by Marvin Moore, published back in 2007. The title, Could It Really Happen? Question mark, subtitle, Sunday laws, economic boycotts, death decrees, religious persecution. In America? Really? In America? Could this really happen in America? And down the bottom there, you can read those words, Revelation 13, in the light of history and current events. As I read that book just this year, I was astounded, absolutely astounded, that what Marvin Moore is writing about 10 years ago is happening before our very eyes. He was saying this might happen or this could transpire. Now it's actually transpiring. What he said might take place some 10 years ago. Could it really happen? Economic boycotts, how does he put it? Sunday laws, death decrees, religious persecution in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Could it happen in a nation that has, that has as, as its two founding and grounding principles, the separation of church and state that enables its citizens to enjoy civil liberties, Religious liberties, could it really happen in the flagship nation for democracy in the Western world today, in the world today? Could it really happen? It seems unimaginable. And for those who are watching and are seeing this for the very first time, you may be thinking, this guy, Danny, whatever he's been on, he needs to get off it. He's just gone mad. He's just gone completely troppo. Is he trying to tell us that the United States of America will one day shred its constitution, shred the very first amendment of the constitution and, and that the government will prescribe who you worship, when you worship and what you worship. Will that really happen? I wish it were not the case. But if I read my Bible correctly, if I read the book of Revelation correctly, and I believe I do, because it all stacks up to what we have seen, the answer is yes. As hard as it may be to imagine such a scenario, Revelation tells us the day is coming when the United States of America will enact religious laws. And if you are not willing to go along with those religious laws that will be enacted for the whole nation, you will not be able to buy or sell. That's what we've just read. And not just in the United States of America. The Bible says that this power, the United States of America, will cause the entire world. How much of the world? The entire world to worship and to follow the dictates of this first beast, the Church of Rome, ultimately 
to receive the mark of the beast, which is Sunday sacredness that will be established not just in the United States, but around the world. And if buying and selling doesn't work, the enemy will pull out his trump card, as we've discovered, which is death, which is death. No different to what took place on the plain of Jura when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would not bow down to the image, but they would worship the God of heaven, even if it meant their lives came to an end. My friends, the truth is Jesus is our only hope. Revelation makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is our only hope. I want to finish off with this scripture. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 we read, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You and I need to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is safe and secure in the Lamb's book of life, you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to be afraid of. I thank God that those who follow him are safe and secure in his book of life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much for this prophecy that reveals to us your truth, reveals to us Satan's deceptions, and gives us an opportunity to choose to follow the Lamb. It's my prayer, Father, that each person here, all those watching, wherever they may be, that we will all choose to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and Amen. You've been listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.